You're listening to the MEX Podcast, where we explore user behavior, emerging technologies, and how to design better digital experiences. That turnover in this space is also higher than you want it to be. Uh, and I always wonder why that is, what's what's happening with the people. And, and of course, it comes down to management. It comes down to how people are managed and how they how they grow in their careers. And, uh, and, and, and so what are the best practices there? Hello, I'm Marek Pawłowski, founder of MEX. And that was Tede van Gelderen, founder of the design agency Akendi, talking about that most important of design resources, the people who make the magic happen and really how effective people management must be at the heart of any good design practice. Tede is also the author of the book Experience Thinking. And when he was over in the UK recently from his home in Canada, we had the chance to catch up in Cambridge for a bit of a chat. And then we went on to record a discussion for the podcast. Uh, And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you a bit later on in this show. But before I tell you more about Tede, uh, a few other bits of news from the MEX community to get you up to speed on what's been going on. So let's talk about jobs. Are you looking for a new role at the moment? Uh, If so, Kivra, uh, which is a Swedish company with a really interesting solution for digital post, is looking for a product designer in Stockholm. Uh, This is a pretty key role for the company as it's going into this new phase of growth with a a new CEO who actually comes from a a design background herself. And what they're looking for is for a person to help establish the design culture within the company, working alongside the CEO, uh, as well as spearhead design across all of the different customer journeys. If that's something which sounds like it might make an interesting challenge for you, then do take a look at the listing on the MEX jobs board. That's at mobileuserexperience.com slash jobs. Um, or you can also drop me an email if you would like an introduction to Kivra. Now, you might remember that we had our most recent MEX dining club in London a couple of weeks back. Uh, this was our walk and talk experiment, uh, appropriate enough on the theme of journeys, customer journeys. Uh, so we started with an hour's riverside walk before we all sat down to dinner. Uh, and we were lucky. We had a really warm, sunny spring evening for this one. And one of the things which came out of those conversations, uh, sitting outside on this garden terrace at the restaurant, was a chat with Alex Barclay, who's the founder of the not-for-profit design collective Fuzzy.org. Now, Alex is organising what he describes as a health and design do-tank on Monday the 17th of June in London, in the evening, hosted at the offices of the Boston Consulting Group. And he's bringing together a bunch of doctors from the NHS and across the healthcare sector generally to meet with designers. And the idea is to kickstart a conversation about how design and healthcare can work together on achieving better patient outcomes. So the doing part of this do tank uh, is going to be a series of follow-up sessions over the next several months where the group will gradually work towards identifying a few proof of concepts uh, to take forward and, and share back with the community. So if you've got an interest in the area of health and that sounds like something you would like to get involved with and would like an invitation to, uh, drop me an email. The email address is designtalk 
at mobileuserexperience.com uh, and I can put you in touch with Alex and Fuzzy.org. Uh, but obviously do remember there's some time sensitivity to this. Uh, it's happening next Monday as I record this. That's the evening of Monday, 17th of June in London. Uh, there are also a couple of other bits out in our next journal, which might be of interest to you. The first is a written version of the earlier podcast chat I had on this show with Rachel Liu of the, the publisher Pearson Education. It was a great conversation. We look back at all of those early influences in Rachel's life and how they've led towards this path that she's followed into complex, multi-country user research work. So it seemed like a good one to try this experiment with. And the idea is to create some long-form written interviews based on some of the podcast chats that I've been having. I'll be really interested to hear what you think of that. Uh, have a look and see whether or not you, you like that format, whether you'd like to see more in that format, and do let me know. Uh, and the other one is a piece about some of my own user experience challenges, my own mobile user experience challenges when I was out at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona earlier this year. And I was using a BlackBerry Key 1 and an LG G4. Uh, obviously, these are both devices which are pretty long in the tooth now. Uh, and it was to take on that task of capturing a lot of text and a lot of photos in a pretty short space of time. And the article kind of grew out of a conversation that I had on a different podcast, on the Phone Show Chat podcast. I was kindly invited on by uh, Steve Litchfield and Ted Salmon, the, the hosts of the podcast. And it looks at some of the specific adaptations within those older mobile devices, which might actually provide useful ideas for future smartphone product strategy. Anyway, let's get back to today's interview. And I found talking to Ted really quite illuminating. He spent time working client-side uh, with big organizations like Philips and Nortel. But he's also seen the consulting world from a number of angles too. He was with a very large consulting company, KPMG. Uh, he's founded two of his own agencies, one of which he actually sold way before this more recent phase of agency acquisitions that we're still in at the moment. So these days, apart from running his design agency, Akendi, uh, which does both client work on digital experience design, but also has a, a strong training and education focus running courses in that area, he's also written this book, Experience Thinking. We get to talking about that, uh, as well as some of the challenges over a long career of creating opportunity out of adversity. Uh, and I even have a go at persuading him to start writing book number two. I'll be back at the end. Hope you enjoy the chat with Tedder. Here we go. Despite having met you and Leo and having come to see some of the work that you do at Akendi, I've never understood where the name comes from. Oh, um, the name was uh, was a brainstorm. It's, uh, it's unfortunately not, not very... Uh uh elaborate or deep it's uh it's my nephew uh i was uh contemplating starting a company again because because i just recently sold uh, my previous company and i needed a name and i asked him so uh one afternoon in august uh, sitting outside in the garden we, we were talking about that and he, uh, he's a 14 year old so uh he he just started to blurt out some names and uh, candy was one of them and then i looked it up and it's and, stuck uh, ever since and that stuck ever since, and it was short. The, the dot com was available. Started with an A, which I liked, and uh, it wasn't anything offensive that I could see immediately. And uh, and so that's that's where we are. And 
Why did you choose your nephew particularly to brainstorm? This? <laughs> because I, he happened to be around. He was visiting with his uh, with my sister, and, uh, and they were here. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's the only. Well, it's good to get that insight from the younger generation sometimes. I think perhaps there's a, a degree of wisdom which can be gained from listening yeah. to uh, people outside of your own age group. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. Um, now, I guess the reason why you and I got together relatively recently when you were over in the UK was to pick up a copy of your book, which I've had the chance to have a, a bit of a read of, um, Experience Thinking. Uh, now, Books tend to come from somewhere, I've found my experience. You know, books don't just magically appear. There's usually a longer history to it. And and I'm wondering when, for you, this actually started. I mean, I know normally there's a period where you're working on these things more intensively. But when did you first have the idea to write the book? It started really uh, kind of quite a long time ago. Uh, I I would say it started when I I started my own career even, Thinking about design processes, I, I I went to school. You, know, you go to university, you get all your all your things going, and all these articles and and journal proceedings and conference proceedings that you read and the books that you read. Uh, most of them have a tendency to talk about one particular instance, one thing that people are interested in in the in the experience realm or in in, in human realm, and they they all contribute to the to the understanding of the space but it's it always struck me that i found very very few books or articles really talking about so what's the the best practice of 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 how to do this what's the process what are the steps and and what's a typical good way to go about creating experiences or creating designs and uh so so really from from my first year being being employed i i was always fascinated by by the lack of of uh, of literature about that, and uh, and the people didn't really talk about it, so it really started there. And and as my career progressed, I I've been always focused on understanding and and want to explore and, and 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 figure out different ways to approach design and and try out different processes, different methods, different uh, different ways to get there. And um, when I started at Candy, of course, and being a new company, we needed the process too. Pretty much any any books tells you around starting up a company is that well, you need to have an approach. You need to tell how you do things. And uh, so I created one based on on my experience and knowledge that that uh, that I accumulated. In that process, I I started to recognize that uh, that yes, we have a process to to create experiences, um, but uh, the, the the process itself is works absolutely great. Uh, it's it really works well for our business and uh, and the projects we do. But I started to have more and more thoughts around. So why isn't this whole field being connected more to to other areas? And the other areas, what I mean by that is that when it comes to user experience and experience design and user interface design, even usability, uh, human factors. Um, uh, those those areas, even customer experience, there's there's a tendency to think in in entities, in things, in in finite uh, designs, if you will. And like a, so a, an over focus on products, you mean? Yeah, on products, but also on on even a marketing campaign, which I would see as a product as well, as a, as a thing, as a as a as a small boxed in piece of work or or an experience that you're creating and a lot of those things and but absolutely the products as well software and hardware uh, alike and i found that a lot of the processes really talked primarily about that and they they tended to focus on doing that right and there's zero percent wrong with that that's absolutely what you have to do 
but I always wondered, and, and, and from early on with the company as well, um, I always wanted to include other areas as well. And so one of those other areas that always seems to be seen as a completely different beast is branding. And, and brands uh, are created, and people and companies and, and our clients, they, they know they need to create a brand. But the connection between the brand design and the brand experience and a product experience is always discovered oftentimes in a sort of happenstance way. And I, I was always surprised about it. I said, well, isn't it obvious that the brand influences the experience? And of course, the experience influences the brand. And and why aren't more people talking about that? But when you look at the industry, even, you have design agencies that create brands. You have people that are really specializing in brands, but they don't specialize in product design. And I always found that odd. It's like, well, why isn't why isn't the company really focusing on both? And and, and because I see it as, as a connected entity. When you think back to the founding of Akendi, which was, I guess, late 2007, as I recall, and the conversations that you're having now with potential clients, do you find that that division between brand and product experience thinking is starting to converge at all? Or are you still having to fight those battles to get people to see it as part of an overall experience? Well, I see it... Uh... So it's a short answer. Yes, I still see that happening a lot. Like this month alone, I had two conversations about this very topic with different clients. Um, so, so I definitely still see it, and uh, and it's it's kind of yeah. It, 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 I wonder about it sometimes because I see people so focused on creating better experiences, which they absolutely should, and and so basically focusing on the product design aspect of it as opposed to seeing and sort of they stumble into the brand. And so with these two clients that I that I, I refer to is both of them uh, we help with doing their products and, and, and making the products better. And we tell them over and over again it is connected to their brand. And you don't want to uh, in in isolation design the brand and then design the product. You need to think about these things more connected. And and they say, yeah, 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 we get that, we get that. But as the project uh, progresses, we 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 see these overlaps happening, or they're bumping into the brand where where we are changing colors, for example, or adding colors. Because oftentimes the product design needs more than just the one or two primary corporate colors that a lot of brands uh, brands are designed for and designed in and so we find that by doing our work we are expanding the brands and in terms of colors and then we create a style guide for that and so halfway through the project we get that conversation again saying oh so you're doing more you're creating new things sometimes we even uh, choose a font that is really good for the product but it's not necessarily a standardized font as a brand font and then the question comes, well, we need to use the, the, the font that the brand has. And then we go, well, that's, that's, that's possible. But very often these fonts are not necessarily the best choice for a product experience. And so we have that conversation. And then sometimes we do add another font into it, which by and large becomes part of the brand then. And so there's the, the clients become aware. And, uh, and in my experience, the, 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 the awareness just starts to really sink in when you see concrete examples like this. When, when the clients see, oh, now there is a connection. Oh, there is a real dependency. Oh, there is a real uh, need to, to converge or to, to align these two things much more than, than in a sort of traditional way when you see brand as being the expression of the company, but not as an expression of the, of the product. And really, that's, that's not happening anymore. Yeah, I guess it kind of begs the question as to how it's most effective to get to that point. Because I, I fully agree with you that 
it's something which most organizations could do better at to get that deeper understanding of experiences being part of a continuous whole for the customer. And it makes you wonder whether you get to that point faster by having those kind of small wins that you're describing there, where something that you've done, say, on a product which was commissioned as more of a product-facing experience design exercise, then goes on to have a small influence on the brand in some way, you start to build that pattern of evidence? Or is it something where actually you need to start with more of a a cultural change approach and taking more of the role of the educator as an agency to go in and talk to clients before the project is commissioned to help scope out that commissioning in a different way? I don't know what you've found with that. I mean, you've worked with a pretty diverse range of clients now across all sorts of industries, whether you're finding that there are um, more effective ways of doing that yeah and, and and the education is definitely one thing that we we absolutely try to do the the reality of of our work is that we are consultancy so we tend to uh carry out the projects as they come along uh not so much having an, a real impact to the overall strategy of the company uh, and that's just a fact of the business model that you have if you're an in-house team you can do more but the education piece absolutely happens and we do obviously mention that and, and, and say that and, and talk about the dependencies that are happening there but at the same time there's a there recent really needs to see be an awareness on 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 the organization uh, in the organization to really understand that that those dependencies and i think very often because as it's as it still stands today uh, a lot of these functions are siloed into different areas and so because internally the product manager or the product owner doesn't have an influence over the brand uh, they can't control what's happening there. That means that it's less of their concern and it, and it sort of is put to the side in that sense. Well, one of the things which has always interested me about you and Akendi as an organization is that you do actively have a training part of the business as well. It's something which other design agencies, I think, are starting to wake up to. But for Akendi, I think that's something which you've always been quite well known for is that ability to go in and train in-house teams and deliver that kind of educational experience. But, you know, I'm wondering for you, do you kind of organize formally in your mind how much attention and effort you're directing to those different areas of the Akendi business? You know, you have client projects, you have the education and training side of things. Also, now you've made the effort to put this down and publish it in a book. You know, is that something where you went through a formal process in your mind about which part of that was going to be most significant? in setting out the, the future of where you want to go with Akendi? Um, it was definitely uh, thought about, definitely, as a, as a deliberate uh, strategy. Um, yes and no. I mean, the, 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 the training is delivered in a classroom style, and a lot of the conversations around what I just talked about around brand and product, for example, those conversations happen uh, much more in the, in the meeting room uh situation so so you end a lot of a lot of times those conversations happen not so much in a, in a training or an educational setting and so so we we in terms of time and how we think about it it's often time is separated but the uh the intent for organization to become aware and a lot of uh increasingly uh, more of our clients think about both uh understanding this experience design fields from a, from a cultural perspective and a training perspective. And we have now more and more companies that want to, everybody gets trained and, every, and the whole team or the whole development team and the product management team and the marketing team, all those people get, get trained uh, just to have a shared understanding of this space. Because I think that's really always, uh, that, that ends up being the, a, a real issue. Um, 
to then even go further into the conversation around connecting, in this case, the brand and product. When you think back to your time client side, because going back to the early part of your career, I mean, you spent time uh, at Nortel uh, and at Philips as well. Was there that kind of capability out there in the market from other agencies at that stage? Um, or was that something which you felt there was uh, an absence of um, to be able to draw on, you know, when you yourself were working on in-house teams? I, I have yet to seen, uh, see agencies that, that do all those things in a, in a real sort of consistent or story-like manner. I, I still I haven't seen that. I And this is coming back to the, the, the more piecemeal approach to things is that there's product companies that do an excellent job in designing products. There's branding companies that do that. There's training companies, but... Uh, and even within design, there's there's good design companies, but there's uh, also good research companies. And and I find there's uh, and, uh, and it's really uh, I find that there's not really a lot of companies uh, that combine all these things. And it, it was really the premise to to write the book as well to say out loud on paper that these things are connected. That, that we just can't look at all these isolated elements and keep having companies and functions and uh, and focuses on. On these on these different elements and and think that magically they will they will come together because they won't. You need to think about this consistently. You need to think about this coherently. Well, it's a, a wonderful resource for the community to have. I think this book. I mean, I've had a chance to review some of it, and it, what strikes me about it is that it's a very practical guide to being able to understand that process of structuring and taking a more holistic view about projects and how they then go on to create an overall experience for the, for the customer. And you're right, it does sit in a unique space in, in doing that. You know, there is no shortage of books in the world of design and especially around digital design these days. But as having something which really helps you to understand that connection between culture and the structure of the projects and the way in which that work is is done, I think it makes a really useful contribution to the, the community overall. So it's been great to have the opportunity to spend a bit of time getting into it. But uh, I-, I wanted to go back a little bit uh, further even than the book. I know you-, you mentioned it was something which started to emerge, you know, right from the early stage of-, of your career. But tell me a bit about the the journey that you went on there, because Kendi is headquartered um, in Canada, but you started off at Philips in the Netherlands. Um, so, so, how did that how did that move occur in the first place? That's the things that happen in life, I think. So, I, I worked in in, in Philips and uh, in different places in Philips. So, so having the first almost decade of my career in big companies, I learned the good and bad about doing research and design uh, in 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 a, in, a, in a global company, which is absolutely uh, yeah, it's priceless in the sense of what you learn there and what you what you need to know about how things work in, in the corporate world. Um, I mean, after pr- that, priceless I mean, in what regard? A priceless in the sense that you need to know the dynamics. You need to know how decisions are made. You need to know what, what drives the business. And uh, and there's only one way to learn that is to, to be in it. And, uh, and, and so anybody who goes through their career... I, I, I usually advise them to say, you know, you have to at least part of your career work in a big company because you have to feel what it's like, why why the movement is the way it is, how how people work together, and and, and what are the dynamics there. That's that is you, you need to know that uh, because you need to understand that piece of uh, of work, if you will. And it gave me a really good foundation of uh, of of learning how to do that, and, uh, and and I still use that to this day to to understand the clients that we work with and the situations they get into because. Oftentimes we are working with the bigger clients. 
but it's it was one way to do it and um for me i uh, i want to explore uh, other types of work and so i worked at kpmg management consulting as well for a number of years and uh learned how it is uh, to do consulting work and uh, i found that fascinating and in the course of doing that i uh I got to meet uh, somebody from uh, from Nortel in Canada, and uh, and they invited me to come over. And at the time, it was the the real the bubble around 2000, so it's really at the height of uh, of the dot com bubble. Uh, and they they had uh, opportunity to bring me over to Canada, uh, which is uh, what I said yes to, and that was wonderful. Uh, I went back to the company again because Nortel at the time was about 90,000 people. It's, uh, it was a big company, but the, the the chance to go to another continent I uh, I found interesting and uh, got my family to convince to move with me. But unfortunately, that uh, that only lasted one year and ten months, because uh, then the, the bubble burst and uh, and everything. Basically, the company doesn't exist anymore as uh, as it used to be, and uh, uh, so I was out of a job, uh, which was a blessing ultimately for me because it forced me to do okay. What do we do now? Out of adversity comes opportunity. Absolutely, for me, it, it really and it's the best thing that happened to me. It's 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 always one of those stories where you where you go. I'm re- I was really happy that that I got laid off, and uh, and now I had to be forced to do something else. That that really was a better fit for me, and uh, and having a small company. So for uh, ex Nortel people, so me included, uh, we started the company uh, consultancy in 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 user experience, and uh, and and that was for me the the, the break, if you will, to say, well, I, I have to do this. This is this is great. I can do consulting work, which I love to do. I can do the 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 field that I love love and. I get to do this. So we run it for five years. We sold it to a software development company. And uh, after that, I left there again because I wanted to do this again. And, and that became a candy 11 years ago. Ah, so this was a separate consultancy that you'd founded prior to a candy. Yes. This is my second company. Interesting. So you enjoyed it enough to come back for a, a second run at it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and I will never, ever change. I will retire in this place and I will retire in this kind of company because I, uh, I really like the, the variety of the work and the, and the consultancy part, I think, makes it uh, suitable to, uh, to have the biggest impact into the space. So when was it that you uh, sold the first agency to the software company? What period are we talking here? That's 2006. 2006. Interesting. Because, I mean, this is something which at the moment, I guess, is very much part of the, the news flow around design agencies is the acquisitions that are going on of software companies, of large in-house teams doing acquihires, of professional services organizations buying user experience focused agencies. Uh, but that was, I guess, either a very early example of that, I guess, or maybe part of a, a cycle which occurred during that period. Yeah, and it, I think it, uh, it, it, these things and, and it's different skills too. Some the, the, what you hear in the news now are some of those bigger agencies too that uh, that get acquired by uh, like I said uh, by software companies or consultancies, uh, the bigger management consultancy firms. Uh, but it's 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 something that has been going on. Uh, throughout, but not at a, at a scale that's happening now. This seems to be an issue which divides opinion, this business of uh, the acquisition of design agencies. And, you know, I'm wondering if for you there are a set of conditions, you know, some benchmarks which you think make those kind of acquisitions and the, the integrated firms that result from it more likely to create 
product experiences that are better for consumers or whether or not that's something which is always going to favor the the independent agency yeah i, th- I think uh as always time will tell in the end but it's uh it's a uh, something that uh like an ibm uh a longer time ago uh, had to go through as, uh, as they moved from their from their sort of routes to uh from products to to services and uh, of course they're very experienced and successful now but when you look at that, I th- I think it's uh, it's quite a, a risky business, uh, to be honest. I think it's uh, for a lot of companies that do this kind of thing and they embark on just adding, slotting in another service, another capability. Um, the the culture is so different. The, uh, the even the process that's followed is very different. And I think uh, I I still wonder what what the uh, what the effects will be because it's. Uh, I see also some of the people that do that, they leave again. Or some of the key people that are in those companies, they uh, they leave again. Yeah, it can be a, a challenging time, I think, for organizations when that sort of seismic change happens, particularly in mm-hmm. uh, an industry which is so focused on culture and people as th- this world of experience design is. Uh, d- does it change how you think about the way you position an organization like Akendi, which is uh, yeah, an independent design agency at the moment and when you think you've now got a set of potential competitors or at least people who are sort of playing within the same space who are of much larger scale you know you can't compete on scale with an organization that is employing a hundred times as many people as as you may be but so does it then change how you think about how you position how you focus on those unique strengths that you know akendi has yeah I, I i firmly believe in that that you have to focus on what you're good at and uh and not so much be be sort of influenced by 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 your surroundings uh, when it comes to your core offering, I think I, I firmly believe in what we do and uh, uh, the quality we produce, the way we do it. And I, my focus is completely on that, uh, not so much on on how how I maneuver myself uh, compared to these. Because you're right, I I can't compete with the size we are with with the bigger agencies. So I uh, I don't. And I think the clients that we have and and the projects we do reflect that is that these are non-multi-year uh, ginormous uh, endeavors it's uh, it's relatively speaking uh, they're they're smaller things but they're nonetheless very very important for the for the companies that we do the work for because we tend to focus on the uh, on the revenue generating products and experiences that they create and improve those so uh, it's critical for the survival of these companies to to get it right and uh, and that's that is to be honest my sweet spot as well I love to work on uh, making things better that really make a difference for the company. And that's the kind of work that we, uh, that we focus on. And as long as I, and I believe as long as you do well, if you do quality work, uh, uh, yeah, the rest doesn't really matter that much. It's, uh, I can't control what happens in the, in the outside world in that sense. So I, I, I tend to focus on what we do well. So when you started out in your career, there was that initial focus around things like uh, medical equipment and, and Philips had quite an interest in, in that area. Now, when you think about the kind of projects that you're taking on with Akendi, is there a definable thread, a strand which connects it? Do you focus on particular industries uh, or is it something where it's more down to the particular challenge associated with the, the specifics of that particular project? Yeah, the, I, I think the latter more than the former. We, we tend to work in different industries. We have an emphasis on government, on financial work, and I would say on, on technology in general. And uh, But I think it is mostly driven by the challenge. 
uh, more so than the industry. Uh, and we get this question often and say, do you know us? Do you know our domain? And the answer often is, well, yeah, we do, but not most likely not to the extent that you'd like us to, but being a consultancy and that happens for any any consultancy out there uh, your challenge is to ramp up quickly and to understand the space quickly that you're into because every challenge every product every environment is so distinct from each other that even if i've done a project with one company it doesn't mean i will ever do a project like that in a similar domain so so we are focusing more on the approach and it comes right back to what i said earlier around the my my interest in in, in processes and and so what we do is uh first and foremost focus on products but we also focus a lot on services because a lot of companies are are rephrasing and re repositioning if you will some of their products as services uh, either because of the business model that they take or the integration that they seek for multiple of their products into a, a more end-to-end service that they provide and so our work has shifted i would say in the last uh, 10 years uh, from being more product focused to now being more service design focused and, and seeing that as the as the way forward for a lot of companies so when you work with a big corporate client that is going through that transition of taking a product focus to moving to a more service focused approach about what they do. What tend to be the biggest pain points for them? You know, what do you find you're having to help guide them through to, to make that work? Yeah, it's funny because it's uh, <laughs> that conversation. I have to have the conversation uh, many times uh, in, the, in the last couple of years because it's um, some, some teams really think just by relabeling a product to a service, you magically made a transition. And really, that's obviously not the case. But that's that's what a lot of companies think, is that just saying it is a service doesn't make it a service. Because the, the, the key characteristic that makes a product different from a service is that there's there's more to a service. There are more components in a service. It could be multiple products. There could be other types of experiences that are not necessarily product-related, but it could be space-related, could be people-related, could be process-related. That all have to work together in tandem to, to make it a service. And, and that awareness, uh, that is often lacking that the, the, the full sort of grasp of what, what is, what entails a service and what it really takes to make a service good. Uh, that is the conversation I need to have the most often to say, well, we really can't work in isolation. We can't really design this thing in isolation. You have to see the bigger picture. You have to see the end to end. You have to see and work together with other parts of your organization to make this a reality. And that is right back to the early question around education and, and, and the culture. That's where I see the most drastic uh, shifts happening now in organizations that they start to realize that, oh, in order for us to do this right, we do have to collaborate. We do have to look at this one level above what we traditionally did and, and make it a service level engagement. Yeah, I mean, that can be a scary thing for organizations to take on. I think this is possibly where the role sure. of uh, agency almost veers into the area of therapy. You know, you're, you're having mm-hmm. to help clients through that often quite frightening transition and all the things which are associated with that in terms of culture change and changing the sort of people that that you potentially bring on board to help with those kind of things. I mean, have you found as you've gone through that sort of evolution yourself as an organization in terms of the terms of client projects that you're taking on, that it's changed the way you think about the kind of practitioners that you look for 
to work on the Akendi team. You know, when you think about when you founded the organization compared to the sort of people that you're looking to hire or the kind of skills that you're looking to nurture in the existing team, has that evolved over time? Um, slightly, I, I would say slightly. And I say that because the, 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 the premise of this field has always been holistically. The, 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 the reality of it is that most of us were just not simply in a position to, to express or to, to work in it. Uh, but throughout times, I, I would say, uh, even service design is not a new idea that have, that came up really in the nineties as a, as an idea for product design or for design, for design field. So it's, it's really old already. And, and for example, in the UK, there's a couple of companies that, that are really do, have been doing this for quite a long time already. So, th- th- and, and why? Because it makes total logical sense when you look at it from a human centered design perspective or, uh, and, and looking at it from, from how you would design for people, uh, it makes total sense to look at it from that design, uh, service design perspective. So we've always had it in our back pockets. Well, we never got to express it to, uh, to our clients or to, and they would never buy a service like that. And that I think has changed. So I, I have people now that are talking more about it and I encourage them to do that. It, even if they traditionally would talk more about the product side of things. Now I, I want them to talk about the service side of things and start to have that conversation early about that holistic approach because that's that's the right thing to do and and i'm i'm happy of that direction in the field because it's uh, it's a long time coming to to finally uh, get to this place where we can have these kind of meaning, more meaningful conversations i find what about in terms of like technical skills because i, I guess there's a uh, almost an invisible line which i think a lot of agencies and, and also in-house teams to a degree end up drawing about where they're technical execution skills end and where they then start to look to partners to support whatever vision of service experience it is that they're trying to create. I mean, do you feel that there is a role for your practitioners in being able to, for instance, deliver on, say, new kinds of voice interface or things that are happening in virtual or or augmented reality, you know, all skills which by definition are quite emergent and quite specialist? Uh, Or do you kind of draw a line about we need to understand those things but we don't necessarily need to have the skills to to prototype or to, to implement in them. Well, yeah, and 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 so when you look at those those things that you mentioned, I, I would, for example, include like uh, a thing like gamification, uh, which is coming up more and more too. Is that we have the skill set in house, uh, and we have the PhDs and the masters uh, uh, degrees to to support those kind of things. So so the skill set is there. Uh, I think uh, a lot of organizations need to be ready for that kind of engagement, uh, and and that's really where it's, it often doesn't happen is that the the the, the willingness is there the, the we, we think we know how to do it but on the organization side it needs to have the full buy-in and that's not always happening what i do find is that when you make the separation between the technology and the design uh, that's often where you get a more meaningful conversation because you as designers you can create a lot of things without actually building it and they still test out the experience and still make sure it works well to before you jump into a, a solution uh, on the technical side. Yeah, I guess there's that role for being able to to provoke, being able to encourage people to imagine things which are at the outside of what they could implement technically at this stage and yet represent mm-hmm. something which could be very positive for the future. And so when, when you look at that, and service design for me is one one thing, and I also also talk about it in the book. Uh, so so I, I talk about products and then services and the service experience uh, and then combine it with the brand. And then, uh, so so it's the same story. Brand needs to be connected to the service. 
the product needs to be connected to the service and vice versa. And, and lastly, I, I also extend it to the content and say, so any, any, because now we live in a more and more of a content world where, where like, uh, companies like Netflix and, uh, and Amazon create, th- they don't create things, but they, they distribute things. They distribute content. They distribute products in terms of Amazon, but it's, uh, it's, it's getting more and more into how do you, connect even the, the the large volumes of content that we have in a way that's going to uh, work well in experience in a product, in experience of a service or, or a brand. Yeah, and it's all part of that continuum in the mind of the user. You know, I suppose that element of, well, what is available to me through these various different video distribution services can be just as important as how it is distributed. There are going to be exactly. some users potentially who make the decision on, well, no, I'm only going to use this one because it's the easiest to use regardless of which content is on there. But I would suspect that those will probably be in the minority. It's going to be as much <laughs> yes. you know driven by so. uh, the, the availability of content. But th- that connection back to the users, I mean, that was one of the things which struck me as a recurring theme, refreshingly, within the, the book that you wrote. Um, I, I want to take you back to chapter seven and, and page 84 on here and just read you a, a little bit from it because it was part of the part which really struck home to me. So you say that um, you thought that you knew how the user would react to and interact with the experience without any evidence that this would be the case. You've pushed the problem down the road, but you can't avoid it. At some point, your product or service will be used by customers and users. So why not stay in touch with them? And I mean, you can probably uh, tell a little bit more about that. But to me, I guess you're alluding there to this idea that user research is something which always gets front loaded into a project and then it stops. It's seen as being part of a linear journey, which has a defined endpoint. And then you get on with the innovating or the product creation and users get left behind. You know, is that a culture which you're still encountering with clients and having to help them understand that that needs to be an ongoing cycle and ongoing um, piece of user involvement? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm still, still somewhat amazed that, that, that it's still so prevalent. It's, uh, people tend to, 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 to listen to users and customers in, in, in two distinct uh, moments and that's at the beginning and uh, at launch and after that and then in between they don't listen to them like you said so th- there's there's this book ending of, uh, of of customer user involvement in the design process is still still surprising and and even with some of the, the processes out there it's it's not necessarily completely embraced which which I'm really really surprised about so there, absolutely there, I see this still on a on a monthly basis that I meet teams and they think they know what the user wants because they did talk to them and that's usually the question the the the, the, the comment I get I said well yeah we did talk to our customers we know what they want I said but are you still talking to them and uh, and 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 the surprised look on people's faces when I ask that question still tells me that uh, that people don't get the concept is that it's not about just once talking to them and hope for the best. It's that continuation of that conversation and keep at it throughout the design process. And that's, that's, even though I, I, yeah, you kind of, so when I say it out loud, I say, yeah, of course, makes total sense. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, well, lots of people don't. And they, and they think they're getting by by just making themselves the reference user and the reference customer. And, and, and that's they're going to be the, 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 where the, where the buck stops, uh, for them and in, in terms of design decisions. And, and that's such an unfortunate thing because you, you're doing the right thing in the beginning. Uh, and then after that, you basically let it slide. And then you hopefully come 
become presently surprised when the when the experience launches but uh, we all know that that is definitely not always the case well that was one of the things i'd liked about that part of the book in particular it was just a very succinct way of reminding people you know putting people back into the mind and the experience of the user well the users are going to continue using this so why wouldn't you continue their involvement with it it makes it exactly. very simple and, and self-evident but you know when that doesn't happen in your experience what tends to be the major reason for that is it a question of of budget of time available that there's a pressure on people to continue uh, you know the, the development to get something out there so they don't feel they have the time to involve users what are the things which tend to hold organizations back from doing that i i've I thought about this very question a lot over the years and uh, and and so so what i came to more and more conclusion to which i think applies in most cases is that uh for me it starts even with the uh education system is that we're trained to become experts in something so we're trained to be a skilled worker in in a certain thing and 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 our schooling system our 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 the way we we, we learn uh, is all about us learning we are the experts so we apply that kind of approach to uh, to our work life and so uh, if, if we happen to work in a design uh, product design environment or or engineering environment where you create things uh, we tend to reason in the same way and say well i'm the expert i know best it's my skill set online here i'm going to make the decisions uh, because I know how to do this. I've been going to school for this. And uh, because the approach that we need to take in, to get proper customer user involvement throughout the design process is a very different one because you're handing over the keys to a degree, not, a, not completely, but to a degree to your customers and users to help you make decisions, to help you create uh, higher quality experiences. And, uh, and that's a very uncomfortable thing for a lot of people. That they don't want to hand over that uh, that part of the process, and they they're much more comfortable thinking for themselves, and, and really genuinely. And I meet so many people that are genuinely convinced that they know best because it is their expertise. It's like going to the doctor; is that they have the finite answer. Uh, I think that's the biggest uh, impediment to 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 adopting this kind of approach is that people are just reluctant to do that from their own experience. Uh, that's interesting, and as you say, there is that risk that it's something which is hard-coded into people at an early age uh, through the way in which that you know the very structure of the educational system and i think just that notion in fact that education is something which for most people tends to be front-loaded into the early part of their lives that it's seen as being you, know, you get yourself educated and then you go off to do what it is you're going to do with your career it's something which is changing to varying degrees in, in certain industries but i think there's still a lot more that could be done there about building in that sense that this needs to be an ongoing educational journey for people throughout their lives and perhaps that then starts to tick into just a greater awareness of, of how that then plays a role in designing experiences delivering products and services for people absolutely and I, and I think it's it, 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 another way to, to phrase that too is to, to see ourselves as facilitators to say we're not we're not just experts we're also facilitators of the process we're facilitators of finding the right information finding the right data and and that's okay because you're a facilitator doesn't mean that you're worthless or that you're not not good at your job you can be an, an amazing facilitator of finding the right information and 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 let's do that and uh, so i think so absolutely you're absolutely right and, and and that that part for me is the 
the, the, the biggest one. I think, uh, money, I, I find, yeah, of course, money is always a, a, a factor, but I, I find time and time again, when everybody understands why you do this, uh, there's, there, there seems to be a lot more opportunities to find the budgets to do this because it, uh, it has to make sense and it has to show the value. And I think that if that's understood, I find money to be a surprising here even uh, less of an issue. What does the ongoing education part mean for Akendi internally? Because you have a role, I guess, within the industry as being recognized as, as educators, you people who train others in these techniques around experience design, both your own clients, but also other practitioners, people who are working at other agencies come to you for this kind of training. But how do you keep that fresh and how do you keep people within your organization learning the whole time you know to come out and to publish books about these things to run training courses be doing client work you must be having inputs all the time which could help you to shape what that education looks like but but how do you structure that how do you make sure that you know you keep improving um, those techniques within your own business yeah the first and foremost is the team itself and it's, it's one of the premises why i started the company again is to, uh, to have a, a team together that that will train each other in a way and help help each other by critical thinking and uh, uh and and making sure that everybody stays on their toes so that's that's number one it's the ongoing debates today um tomorrow yesterday where where we where we all question ourselves where we keep asking ourselves questions because it's uh, finding the information nowadays of course uh it's been a lot easier uh, with the technology that is there and uh, finding answers to that too and so we find ourselves doing a lot of just-in-time training with each other uh, that's the, that's number one. Number two, obviously, our clients. I mean, one of the really fun bits of doing consultancy is that you get to see in in a lot of companies' kitchen and you see what they're doing and and and, and the cutting edge things that they're trying to achieve. And so we learn. We do 40, 40 50 projects a year, and so we learn a lot uh, in a single year about all these different companies and their technology so that's that's another one we do go to conferences and 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 and, uh, and follow some of those things but it's uh i find it's not always as uh, information dense as i like it to be uh because it's not always talking about uh things that uh because some of some of the things that we see in those conferences uh, yeah yeah we did that a couple of years ago and now that's in the conference and so you don't always get the latest greatest there surprisingly i find because of course i know that they'll be marketed that way but i find that uh that us reading and uh and, and staying up to date uh with each other and with our clients uh, really meets that needs uh to a large extent yeah and i guess there's always that role of the how effectively you build that sort of filter and generative capability internally, regardless of where those inputs are coming from, whether it's conferences, whether it's client work, there's that additional layer which needs to go on top of that, which is how that information mm -hmm. is then processed and shared and developed into something which becomes useful to you as an organization. Yeah, for sure. Now, having gone through this journey with, as you say, sometimes 40, 50 clients a year who are all working to deliver specific products or services in, in their industry... Do you ever get tempted with the idea of trying to create products and services yourselves? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's something that's been uh, definitely, and I think a lot of services, service companies think, uh, think it's on, on the same lines. They say, what if we do it ourselves? And uh, uh, we've I've pushed it off for, for a longer time because I really want to focus on the services. But 
uh, say the last year now we've uh, we've been uh, engaging more and more in in the idea of doing products and and trying it out and I, and I had two reasons for that one was to to sort of scratch that itch and saying so well we need to do this ourselves once just to, just just to see what it's like and uh, and use our skill sets uh, to our own uh, uh, benefit if you will that was one reason uh, we, we 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 have about four products on the go right now uh, that we start to develop further uh, another real reason is and that's that's sort of much more in the services area because I really love services. I, I, I'm very much a services company, company person. Um, I I wanted to use the development of our own products as a way to uh, to create a a, a more uh, sort of focused service for startups uh, to help them uh, get to a product uh, experience sooner. And and this was a this is one of my reactions to 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 the current climate where you see a lot of venture capitalists and and uh, angel funding and, and companies that have some money to to build out a product and and what they hire are of course the the, the leads so the person who had the had the idea and and the insight and the and the, the business idea or the product idea to to make that happen of course you have that but but what happens after that is very often there's a focus on the engineering and building side as opposed to the design side so i i hear rarely that the startup has hired as uh, as hired number two or number three a designer very much it is, well, we first have our first 10 our engineers because we need to build stuff. And uh, there's this perception that that's the core expertise you need as a startup. And, and I, I do disagree with that uh, because I think they're taking too much time to get it right. Uh, and their MVP or whatever release they have may work, but it's not necessarily the completely the right product. And I think you can you could have done a lot more learning early on in the startup's life to come up with better ideas or come and, and integrate the research and, and the customer user involvement that we just talked about to make that product, product better sooner. And I think that is a package, that is a service that we can offer startups or VCs to say, here we have a process, but we need to prove it. And that's, of course, the business reason why I do this is that uh, the VC will say, well, have you done this before? And uh, I don't want to be able to say, yes, I have done this before. But it's really using design as a lead to get to a good experience sooner because ultimately, and that's and that's always what I wonder about, is that the the the, the investment people are interested in the return. So so wouldn't we all be interested in making a product or experience that is better sooner? Isn't Absolutely. that going to help them? And um, I think and it's interesting that you know evidence is starting to emerge now. You know, both anecdotally and also I think from some of the deal flow. I mean, I've been aware of things like the work that Innovate UK, the government innovation agency in the UK, has been doing, and yeah, they've been able to develop a body of evidence where they've showed that for projects where uh, design has been involved early in the life of the business, they have had a greater success rate than those which haven't. And yeah, clearly that's something which needs to be built over a number of years by definition to get that kind of evidence. And then even anecdotally as well, you know, you start to see more VC firms, which I've had people on this podcast talking about that very thing from the world of VC who are now starting to realize that the earlier they can involve those sorts of things with startups, then it has that multiplier effect, not just on the product and service, but also on the culture and the ability for that organization. Then if it needs to say pivot to a different product or service, service area, as startups often do, they then have the culture internally, which allows them to be able to do that in a way which is still connected to, to customer desires and, and that kind of experience, that design thinking. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely. Uh, now, I'm conscious that we're coming to the end of our time, Tedder, but I want to ask you about the future. And I don't expect you to commit to it here and now on the podcast, but if you were to write a second book, have you given any thought to what that book might be? Oh, oh, the second book would be about people management. Okay. Um, oh, so this is clearly it, something you have thought about. <laughs> I, I, I gave it a little bit of thought. So because I had to choose to, when I wrote this book, to say I'm going to write about this or about something else. So I, I, I had a short list of things that I want to talk about. And uh, and so the, uh, the, the, the not a strong idea I had that, that obviously I, I didn't choose in the end, but uh, was the people management side of uh, of, of, of doing doing this kind of work because I, I find that fascinating. Um, so the, the, the people management of design, the people management of researchers or product design, if you will, and the, this whole space. And I think uh, there's very little, again, very little being talked about. And it's such a, a, a growing concern uh, that more and more of these companies are growing, more and more of these people. Uh, when I started 25 years ago, uh, there were some bigger companies, but there were very few companies that really offered you a career in this space. Uh, today, it's just different. There are so many more companies that have to decide that people have a full career in this. They become, they do the work, they become a manager, they become a director, they become a VP, and, and people go through the ranks. And, and in the course of that, you need to maintain a good team. And I find that the turnover in this space is also higher than you want it to be. And I, and I always wonder why that is, what's, what's happening with the people. And, and of course, it comes down to management. It comes down to how people are managed and how they, how they grow in their careers. And, uh, and, and, and so what are the best practices? there what are people doing that some of them is just generic hr best practice but some of it is very specific to to this experience design world uh and i would love to write a book about that and if you're going to do that i mean how much of that would be drawn from your experiences as someone who has founded and managed businesses of your own versus what you've learned from working for various different client organizations and getting that sort of glimpse behind the curtain of 40 or 50 different companies a year, different industries? Well, I would do a combination of, of, of three things in the end. So so definitely uh, my own experience, uh, absolutely. Uh, our client experience, uh, for sure. Uh, but I also would definitely do a series of interviews with, uh, with, with, with like, uh, co- uh, companies and people that have the same kind of challenges to learn more from what they are experiences as they are managers. And, and as people, like I said, they have now the last 10 years, people are starting to have these, these degrees and, uh, of, of, of uh, levels in their careers. They go, uh, okay, let's, let's talk about how that was and, and what were the challenges there. So I would do a bit of my own research to, uh, to write it as well, which is one of the reasons why I didn't want to start with that as a book. Because I had to do a bit more work for that, but it's uh, but I think it's absolutely necessary. I think people are looking for that kind of information, and they really are struggling with how do I maintain a good design team? How do I maintain a good research team uh, long term? Because uh, the the the, the skill set is scarce, and it's obviously growing. And so we'll 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 stay in this perpetuous uh, state where there's too few of us, uh, and there's more jobs around, or there's more need around, and. Uh, uh, there's a tension there that, that needs to be party solved by good management. Well, who knows? Maybe you've started the ball rolling today on this. If there are any publishers <laughs> listening, you may find your, your schedule is suddenly becoming rapidly <laughs> more filled than you expected oh, with is. the challenge of writing another book. It is, yeah. Well, look, Tedder, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast and share all that. And do stay in touch and let us know what's happening with Akendi. I will do. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.
There we go. Teddy Van Gelderen there, founder of the design agency Akendi, author of the book Experience Thinking. Uh, what did you think? Do get in touch and let me know. Uh, it's always great to hear from everyone after these podcasts come out. Um, there are always several people who get in touch by email or drop me a, a line on Twitter. That's MexFeed on Twitter. Uh, but great to hear your feedback on these conversations uh, and where we might go with them in the future. What I'll do is put links to all of the things that Ted and I talked about into the show notes. Now, these go up at mobileuserexperience.com in the podcast section. Uh, and we always take a, a few moments to try and put together some really detailed notes there so that you've got easy links to follow in case you want to go and check out any of the things which were discussed. Um, so do go and take a look at those. A um, couple of other reminders before we finish up. Uh, the first is that Health and Design Do Tank in London, organised by Fuzzy.org, the not-for-profit design collective. That's Monday 17th of June in the evening in London at the offices of the Boston Consulting Group. If you're interested in health, interested in design, and you want to get involved in that process, just drop me a line and I'll be very happy to put you in touch and sort out an invitation. Email address for that is designtalk at mobileuserexperience.com. Also, don't forget, if you are on the hunt for a new job at the moment and that role with Kivra in Sweden, in Stockholm, sounds like it might be of interest to you. You can find all the details at mobileuserexperience.com slash jobs. Uh, and again, feel free to drop me a line if you need any more info or you'd like to be put in touch with Kivra directly. One last thing, if there's someone you can think of who you think might enjoy listening to these podcasts, that is far and away the best way to help spread the word um, is just to send the link over by email to whoever you think might enjoy having a listen. Um, you can link them to mobileuserexperience.com where this show and all of the other 60 odd episodes that we've done so far are available. Um, and it's always great to get new listeners involved. So do feel free to spread the word far and wide. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.